There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Over the North Atlantic, toward the east coast of the United States. President Kennedy died. This week on Inside Jobs, Brian, Jean, and Lee investigate the Bay of Pigs invasion. After defeating the Spanish in the Spanish-American War, the United States and corporations and corrupt mafia-linked business concerns enjoyed massive profits at the expense of Cuban locals. After Fidel Castro overthrew the American-backed dictator of Cuba in 1959, the U.S., the mafia, and many businesses were eager to reclaim what they saw as rightfully theirs. Joining me to investigate the war against Castro are civilian investigator Eugene Fulgencio O'Neill. Hey, guys. <laughs> and conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Something about Godfather Part 2. I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. Uh, I liked your Greg Turkington uh, introduction, Gene. I thought that was good. Yeah, yes, good work. Let's, let's footnote it for the audience there. Yeah, yeah, let's footnote that On Cinema is the greatest podcast of all time. Yeah. Um, so Also, thank you for mentioning that the Mafia connections were corrupt Mafia connections. Right. They weren't those streamlined, above-the-board Mafia connections you see about in all those movies. Yeah. Right. This was, these were the guys that gave the Mafia a bad name. The, yeah. Right. These were these were those uh, those knee breaking mafioso, not the helping old ladies across the street mafioso. Yeah, but after they helped them across the street, they demanded money. <laughs> they demanded protection money. Yeah, they beat uh, the shit out of her. <laughs> they murdered her. Give me those two dollar bills you're going to give to your grandchildren for Fourth of July. Um. So last uh, episode we uncovered the CIA coup in. Iran, which was a... Previously, no one had heard of it. Which we, yeah, we were really the first to speak out against it. Um, and, People but, didn't even know there was a, a prequel to Argo, to the Argo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People were throat coup. Um, A.K.A. Reindeer Games. Ugh. Wow, he really has done some bad movies. From Reindeer Games to Argo. Um, so, no, but that was a successful CIA coup that uh, had considerable blowback. We are today going to be talking about an unsuccessful CIA operation in the Bay of Pigs, but uh, there's a lot of groundwork to lead up to the right. April 1961 invasion, uh, attempted invasion of the Bay of Pigs in Cuba. So, mm -hmm. Lee, I turn it over to your inestimable hands. Where does this story start? Well, I mean, I would say that it starts... Um, when um, the Platt Amendment basically stated that um, America could basically do whatever they wanted with Cuba whenever they wanted. And this was an amendment uh, in the 1901 Army Appropriations Bill. Um, and it basically stipulated um, that at the end of the Spanish-American War, um, that Cuba would um, have to amend its constitution to contain... Um, details which basically meant that um america would have a, a base 
uh, known as Guantanamo Bay, which no one has really heard about recently, uh, in Cuba, and that basically whenever we needed to uh, do whatever we wanted in Cuba, uh, we could do it. Um, so then just over th the Spanish-American War was kind of this, it was one of the first times that America really flexed its imperial muscle. And right. there, you know, there's a lot of events that uh, that happened that are familiar still to this day, such as the sinking of the the Maine in uh, the Havana Harbor, um, the Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders. But it also involved an invasion of the Philippines, and it resulted in the expulsion of Spanish control from Cuba, which is, you know, an island only 90 miles off the southern coast of Florida, and it basically introduced you the united states and sort of anyone who wanted to make a make a buck from the the agrarian and workforce uh, available in cuba gave them give them pretty much a free hand to do so but then the platt amendment really solidified that in uh, legal terms and so, precisely yeah so following the platt amendment what sort of went on down there Right. So for the next 50 years, um, basically a series of dictators, um, most of which were very favorable to the United States, uh, ruled Cuba with an iron grip. And there were many, many um, American business interests, uh, large business interests, such as uh, Coca-Cola, um, that were making a lot of money in Cuba. Um, I like, and, uh, uh, one thing I like about the sort of businesses that you find operating in Cuba, it's just it's similar to our episode that we did on uh, Guatemala, where uh, the it was uh, a banana, the origin of the term banana republic. It's a lot of these like yeah. American companies that present this very wholesome image. So well, it's like there was literally a company called the United Fruit Company. Yeah, so that's <laughs> and then it's like Coca-Cola and Hershey had a sugar plantation. So it's a right, lot of because these... there was so much. Go, go ahead. There is. Yeah, that was one of the main exports of Cuba was sugar. And there was all these sugar fields all over the country. And yeah, that's why there's the, the biggest candy and soda company in America uh, were down there. Um, Sort of, uh, you know, having a lot of a lot of business interest down there. Additionally, um, it was kind of a vacation paradise for the richer and sort of middle class Americans. Uh, the mafia had set up a lot of uh, casinos and resorts, um, and you know, more well off Americans could go down there and they could, um, you know, gamble and uh, you know, kind of whore around and uh, have a good time by the beach. And it's not just American, uh, the American wealthy, like Cuba is also a place where uh, Russian nationals can hunt human beings for sport, right? <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I, we say mostly America just because, you know, Cuba is so close to the United States um, in, in the, in, you know, in the Gulf um, that at that time, it was basically seen as kind of like an annexed, um, you know, state um, of the United States. Um, and at, at that time, 1952, Batista came in, and he was probably the most vicious dictator that Cuba had ever seen. Um, and was just Batista. God bless you. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, he was just shameless in his profiteering, him and his, uh, and his cronies. I mean, they took so much money. Um, his estimated worth was like somewhere between, you know, 
up to $300 million of, of the Cuban coffers he had been pulling from. And, uh, of course, he was, um, you know, the, the Americans, we were very supportive of him. The mafia loved him because basically they uh, let us do, he let us do whatever we wanted down there. Mm-hmm. So, meanwhile, there was a bunch of revolutionary forces uh, who wanted to liberate uh, Cuba from... Um, you know, the yoke of Batista and, and the United States imperialism. Um, the most prominent of which was, of course, Desi um, Arnaz. Fidel- <laughs> Desi Arnaz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, was, of course, Dr. Jose. Um, practicing crony capitalism again? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And his wife, Che Guevara, the famous redhead. Um, I love I love that part when Che Guevara is stuffing all those chocolates into his face as they speed <laughs> by. Um, yeah. One thing that's interesting about Castro at this time is that he's, you know, ideologically the only thing you can really pin on him is uh, an anti anti uh, imperialist attitude. Yeah. He doesn't national. Yeah, he's he's a nationalist. He doesn't have any sort of leanings towards uh, what we remember him for today, uh, which is primarily a, a communist uh, ideology and uh, a firm relationship with the Soviet Union that he later founded. Yeah. At this point, he is yeah, we'll purely uh, a, a, a rebel against these imperial forces that are sponsored by the United States. Right. I mean, at that point, like, we obviously wanted Batista to stay in power, but... Um, it, it was we were sort of agnostic towards Castro at that point because we didn't really know where he was going to lean, and we'll get into this in a, in a little bit. But you know, at, at a certain point, the United States sort of saw where the prevailing wind was blowing from, and actually encouraged Batista to resign towards the end there in in, in fifty nine. But uh, anyway, so but Che is I mean I'm sorry, uh, Castro is a little different than most. Um, Cubans. So most of the Cubans who were disenfranchised with Batista were extremely poor, um, you know, farmers and, and workers who lived in very rural rural areas, you know, far away from Havana and the glitz and the glitter of those mafia-run casinos and resorts, um, and just living in, in abject poverty. Uh, Castro himself was the son of, uh, you know, a wealthy man and was was educated um, in politics and, and medicine and such, um, but he. Um, he was actually the illegitimate son of this guy, so it wasn't really – but he definitely had money growing up. And it's kind of interesting that he was so anti-imperialist and then later became so um, you know, anti-capitalist uh, because you know, he definitely um, benefited a lot from this um, – yeah, the, the the money that he that he grew up from you know it's it's, it's interesting a lot of times Cinderella these, these... sort of of his family <laughs> right always having um, dresses. Friends with mice that wear clothes. Yeah. Gus Gus. Always dressed in yellow. He loved the prince. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so, you know, in between 1952 and January 1959, um, Castro um, is out in the, uh, you know, the jungles of, um, of the island of Cuba, waging this um, war, this guerrilla war, um, with um, with uh, Che uh, Che Guevara, who was actually not Cuban, he was an Argentine, um, at his side, um, and they were just like these. 
they called them like the the bearded ones. Uh, like what are they? What what you you probably know the language better, uh, Brian? Like the barb barbados or something like yeah. that. The bearded ones. Yeah, the, that's exactly right. And Brian, uh, you're a barbado. I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, Brian I, was in Cuba. I kind and um, I kind of talk about my beard in excessive amounts. <laughs> It's yeah, kind of embarrassing at, uh, for Fidel the first time Che uh, came to his house and Fidel had forgotten to take his Che poster down. <laughs> <laughs> that was back when he was in college. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, you know, kind of going back to how uh, Castro kind of grew up sort of affluently uh, compared to, you know, his fellow citizens. He was actually a, a ball player. Um, and uh, in the late 40s, you know, he was... Um, there was a lot of Cuban guys that were getting scouted by the MLB. Um, and in, he got rejected a few times um, to, you know, get, get into the major leagues of baseball. But then I think in 49, the, the giants, uh, then the New York giants, um, the local rivals of my Oakland athletics, uh, they actually offered Castro um, a $5,000 um, signing bonus to sign up with the Giants. Um, but at that point, he was more interested in politics and he was more interested in um, national affairs. So he actually turned it down. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's another reason why I'm an A's fan, because, you know, the A's don't um, don't offer uh, contracts to murdering dictators. Just Jose Canseco. Um, so who <laughs> <laughs> later went on to start a revolution of his own called steroids. Um, so, you know, they're fighting around there. And uh, at that point, like I said, is this, he was kind of politically agnostic and, you know, people in America, a lot of people thought he was kind of a, a very revolutionary American kind of guy. Here he was. Like, There's actually you know. uh, um, this kind of interesting uh, American military figure who uh, whose name was oh, gosh it's like William Alexander or something like that uh, something very plain but he um, had fought for, uh, in the U.S. Army during World War II possibly had some connections in the CIA and while Castro was leading this uh, revolutionary force in the mountains of Cuba he actually flew in and met with him and joined and rose to the rank of Comandante. Uh, in the Cuban guerrilla force. This is an American yeah. guy. And, and this was not common, but also not unheard of for foreigners to join up uh, with, uh, with Castro's force. Now, yeah. sort of skipping ahead, just to explain this guy, he, when Castro rose to actual power eventually, spoiler, um, and he started to become more socialist. He put spoilers on the side of, on the back of his card. <laughs> he, when he started to actively embrace and publicly embrace socialism and a closer relationship with the Soviet Union, this guy spoke out against it and was eventually assassinated, <clears throat> or I'm sorry, not assassinated, executed. So it, it's a it's a it's an interesting perspective to think about the kinds of you know sort of uh, maybe left leaning but not openly embracing communism or socialism american figures who could also find uh find reasons yeah. to support castro yeah so. and even though even though it was unclear whether or not he would go the way of the you know the the, the communists uh once he actually took power in 59 you know he was a member of the socialist party of the cuban people and he joined that in the late 40s like 47 or something like that mm -hmm. um but you know it, it wasn't clear when he took power that he was gonna you know be buddy buddy with um be you know have a bromance with khrushchev mm -hmm. um or um 
as Kenneth Branagh pronounces, Khrushchev. I mean, um, if you're going to have a bromance with anyone, it's got to be Khrushchev. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rare. Yeah. So, <laughs> so New Year's 19, um, 1958 to 1959. Um, a New Year's we'll never forget. Exactly, because it's, it's in The Godfather Part Two, uh, a great video game. Um, Dick Clark's 25th uh, party at Town of Times Square. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and uh, so uh, that's basically what the beginning of the end for Batista. And by early January um, of 1959, <clears throat> Castro had taken Havana and was uh, in charge of in charge of Cuba. And um, there's an interesting story. Like one of his first public appearances, it, it became very clear. Like the first time he made public appearances, this guy had so much charisma and could just whip people into a frenzy and was just like this folk hero. And there's this interesting story I heard while, while researching this this topic that um, he, on his first, I think it might have been his first televised appearance, he released doves like a flock of doves as like a sign of peace like at the end of blade runner uh and um the in in basically in like the santeria religion i think um doves are like this like a symbol of like god and uh, you know supreme power so all the birds fly off except for one single dove lands on Castro's shoulder and as he's giving the speech this fucking dove is just like sitting on his shoulder so here he is this like this bearded fucking like swarthy dude in like fatigues with like a little bird on his shoulder just like talking about how he's going to take down imperialism after just like you know fucking taking down a dictator like people thought this guy was a champion That's so awesome. um the That's cult of personality when you let John Woo direct the documentary <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and but Batista had escaped from Cuba. Um, yeah, he did not actually get shot. Three like, hundred million the killer. dollars cash that he stole yeah. from uh, from uh, the Cuban uh, treasury, but um, and he put it all on black. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but um, when uh, Castro came to power, uh, you know he he had a huge amount of support from the Cuban people. Uh, yeah. This was, although a lot of the forces who had fought for Batista either escaped north to Florida or to other parts of Latin America in exile, a lot of them convened, actually sort of switched places with the Castro guerrillas and took yeah. to the mountains, took to the forests in order to wage uh, guerrilla wars against the, the new castro regime but they were yeah. you know mostly unsuccessful mostly low level and for the most part uh the cuban population was very supportive of this new player on the scene fidel castro yeah. and and when we say guerrilla war we're basically talking about uh the movie battle for the planet of the apes jesus christ <laughs> no we yes, are not cubans we're not were... talking that, <laughs> that is bad we're mistaken yep wrong but, Okay, so um, so, he, so at this point, Castro starts to make some radical moves that further solidify um, his like um, sweet kickflip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Back to the John Woo. Um, but when they cut to the long shots, it's always just uh, an Asian stunt double. I think we made that. I think I made that joke before, but uh, yeah, John Woo. Uh, so anyway, um, he starts to make these bold moves that really solidify his support of the people. Like he basically says, "Hey." We're going to have free health care. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> is Castro talking like Obama now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he institutes Castro care. Um, but basically, some of the some of the Tea Which Party is no uh, care. Yeah, some of the Tea Party Cubans decided they didn't want that, so they rejected the funds. Um, and he also basically said, I- I'm going to teach everyone to read, you know, and I want everyone to have the same educational and He taught shot, every uh, person one by one. Yeah. And um, so Michael Moore um, just was really excited about all this. Um, so anyway, uh, meanwhile, as Brian said, these, these guys are um, – these really disgruntled, pissed off guys who have been kicked out of their own home uh, are in um, the, the mountains, but also in uh, in Florida. And these guys refuse to call themselves refugees. They are exiles because they plan on returning to their homeland and taking down Castro. Um, so at this point... So they're kind of like the rebels in Star Wars. Yes, uh, exactly. Um, they are... Um, Castro and his little band of insurgents are the Death Star. Exactly. Depending on on your political leanings, you could cast both sides in either side of the Star Wars story. Yes. Right. They're they're like the rebel soldiers. Well, the exiles were on our side, Brian. So we're the good. They're the good guys. Oh right! Yeah. Sorry, Castro is the bad. Are the bad guys? <clears throat> it's, this is all very black and white. Every part of this story, <laughs> yeah. very black and white. Um, Ethically, yeah, they are unambiguous. Like, they are like the rebels in that they are uh, some uh, actors, but mostly a matte painting at the end of the movie uh, in a shot-for-shot remake of that scene from *Triumph of the Will*. But moving <laughs> on. Um, one of the thi- one of the things he did that really pissed off um well, two of the things he did that really pissed off the United States were um he just started executing the shit out of people that he considered to be enemies of the state um just and, huge uh, violence pieces the United States yeah exactly uh, <laughs> and exactly. Uh, just to just to, conf- to confirm like we sort of glossed over the rule of Batista but he was vicious and used a lot of uh, horrible human rights abuses against uh, people in Cuba including torture and initially he Castro, made them watch the good shepherd over and over again yeah. while dripping water on their head uh, initially Castro uh, was against using torture but persuaded by Che uh, the Castro regime embraced it as well, primarily psychological, but also physical yeah. torture as well. So he, he that's was why torture. That's why these college Sorry, college go. stoners just love uh, Che, just basically because of his love of torture and murder. Yeah, that's why exactly. college stoners just love Che, and that's you know that's why um, there's murals of his face in Oakland. You know what I mean on yeah. schools. Yeah. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so um, at, at this point, like. Um, Castro actually like goes to the United States and is like meeting with people there. Um, he doesn't meet with um, uh, Ike Eisenhower, who's the president at this time. Now, according to some reports, Eisenhower was busy, and then according to other reports, Eisenhower was golfing, yeah. and according to other reports, he was it was a fuck you. Um, but the final move that Castro makes uh, that just drives us over the edge is that he starts to nationalize. This is very similar to what Mossadegh did in uh, Iran that we talked about last week. He starts to nationalize um, a lot of these assets that are the assets of American companies such as Coca-Cola and, um, you know, and Hershey's, Hershey's and all, all, yeah. these, all these and assets. The West which just Indies Sugar Company, which was owned by the Walker family, 
aka right. George H.W. Bush's uh, father-in-law. Yes. Oh, we will def. Once we get into Bay of Pigs, we will definitely start to talk about uh, the Zapata Corporation and how that related to Operation Zapata. But uh, hold yes. tight, folks. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, we're back. Um, so this obviously super pissed us off. So we started making some moves. So the Eisenhower administration says, "All right, well, f- fuck you. We're not going to buy your sugar anymore." Um, and basically uh, puts like a trade sanction. Excuse me. On uh, Cuba. So, of course, um, who comes in to buy all that sugar? Basically, Khrushchev rolls in and says, we'll buy all your sugar this year, next year, until the end of fucking time, buddy. And thus begins the bromance. And people in Cuba are, like, dancing in the streets, um, celebrating this, this you know, relationship with, um, with Khrushchev. So, so you know, it's, it's understandable the Eisenhower's Eisenhower administration had to kind of make a hard line move against them um, with these economic sanctions, but it really fucked us over in the long run. Sanctions um, which, because, uh, which still exist to this day. Yes, exactly. Um, which is why when I was a kid, I to be cool, I smuggled in a Cuban cigar from Europe and a switchblade knife um, and then like smoked a cigar and was like, <laughs> this is really cool. But then like, so, yeah, uh, 15-year-olds, do not smoke cigars. It is bad for you. Um, we were also drinking scotch. Anyway, so um, so Eisenhower and the CIA. And, and, sorry, just as we, as we mentioned, if you haven't listened to our episode last, uh, uh, the last episode we did about Iran, the Eisenhower administration was in opposition to the Truman administration, was eager to bring about regime change if it could be performed by the paramilitary organization of the CIA. Exactly. So what they had done, uh, if you want to go back and listen to our Iran episode, if you want to go back and listen to our Guatemala, Guatemala episode. Let's if, just recap those episodes real quick so you, that they don't have to listen. Last week on Inside Jobs. <laughs> ba- basically. Previously on Inside Jobs. Basically, following, uh, following the... World War II, there was a lot of concern about American interests abroad in accessing resources, but also in denying the access of those resources to the Soviets. So in places like Iran, which had huge output of petroleum, or in places like Guatemala, which, not kidding, had huge resources of fruit, um, (laughs) the the United States... uh, Have you always pronounced it resources? Yeah, that's how it's pronounced. Resources. Resources. Oh, so resources is bet is wrong. It's I, I think it's regionally uh, regionally incorrect for you know certain areas, but I think probably in California you pronounce okay. it resources. And you're from a really dumb region. So. I'm from I'm from uh, I was born in Kansas, so who take that for as what fascinating will. as this all is. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, the United States, specifically under the aegis of people like the Dulles brothers, who were respectively the Secretary of State and the Director of the CIA, were working actively to bring about regime change in places like Guatemala and Iran, because the rulers of those countries were, you know, making it difficult for widespread fleecing by Western corporations of their resources and of um, their manpower. 
Uh, no, it's a, Brian, it was the Red Scare. Uh, yeah, so those two things in tandem, as well as uh, obviously other uh, issues such as the particular characters of Eisenhower, Kennedy, and other po- political leaders, brought about this era in the 1950s and following into the 1960s of coups orchestrated secretly by the CIA. So if you want to go back and listen to this more in detail about Guatemala and Iran, you're more than welcome to. I think they're pretty pretty interesting stories. But all signs pointed to a similar thing going going ahead in Cuba. Right. Um, and, and what the, the CIA really kind of ignored was how lucky they were in Guatemala in Iran. Um, basically, like the first attempt at the coup in Iran, as we covered last week, did not work. And it was only like by like a master stroke of luck that we managed to fucking pull that one off. And then Guatemala, it was only because the um, the the army in Guatemala thought that the coup was the you know, precursor to a full-scale invasion by the United States that they really gave up. So the CIA had this kind of like notion of uh, invulnerability around this um, kind of operation that was pretty much misfounded. I mean, let's face it, they're a clandestine intelligence gathering um, organization, but they're, they, with by the time we get to the Bay of Pigs, they're leading like a fairly major military operation with you know over a thousand individuals storming a beach, boats, planes, like all of this shit. Like that's not what is like an intelligence agency is supposed to be doing. And we'll see in the aftermath of this that's like you know the famous line, "I'm going to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces," is basically. Kennedy's attempt to scale back all this crazy shit, and that's that's this crazy shit is is uh, what we're going to get into here. And we should talk about you know Alan Dulles is in charge of CIA at this point, but Richard Bissell, Richard Dick Bissell, um, was this um, like professor and intellectual um, who was uh, basically um, the the head of of planning for um, the the CIA, and he was the guy um, who was in in charge of planning all of these, um, these, these crazy organizations. Um, so, you know, he was in charge of like the U2 spy plane shit and, uh, you know, all kinds of other crazy stuff. Um, so this, this leads to, um, during the uh, Eisenhower administration, them trying to come up with an idea for an invasion, or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a, a way to topple Castro. And the thing is, Ike, who had been commander in chief during World War II and led the Allies to victory, obviously um, did he understood the horrors of of large scale war, and he was not supportive of doing regime change, regime change. Uh, through you know major military invasions, he wanted to do what they had done in Iran, which was basically without sending American troops or really any troops at all, uh, get the country to sort of overturn itself. And so there was never, never the, the impetus of the operation that later became the, became the Bay of Pigs was never intended to be any sort of invasion. He really wanted to send in some clandestine uh, uh, Cuban exiles. To um, and give them some some supplies so they could build up a popular you know revolt against um, Castro and basically take over the country again. But you know, as we see in retrospect, that was just completely unrealistic because, as we stated before, Castro was extremely popular. Um, 
And the, the area that we planned on invading to begin with, where we, we ended up wanting to invade the, the Bay of Pigs, we expected <laughs> everyone to join up with us. But what we didn't realize is that like Castro had just gone into that area and done like a bunch of major economic reforms and given those people a better life. So why would they rise up against Castro when they had the only comparison they had was Batista? So as the worth as noting the Kennedy, here that uh, that um, I think we talked a little about this in our Nixon episode. Nixon was vice president at this time, and I, he considered Cuba like his pet project. Um, he was very involved yes. in the planning. It was the checkers of his political policy. Yes. Um, yes. It was more like the chess of his political policy. Uh, yeah, and what's um, interesting is he was planning to run for president uh, in 1960, and through communications with Dulles over this operation, he convinced Dulles not to inform Kennedy uh, about this impending operation that was, uh, that was going to be the Bay of Pigs, which is fairly interesting. But, uh, well, but here's yeah, where things here's where things get interesting, actually. So yes, things have failed to be interesting so far. Yeah. But thank you for so hanging we get in. into this is where it gets interesting. So so the plans are going for this invasion of, uh, or I'm sorry, for this this operation against Castro, and um, we're getting into 1960, um, and we're getting into. Um, the debates, these famous televised debates where basically everyone knows the story. Um, and I was just at the, the Kennedy library and they had like an awesome recreation of the set there that I got to hang around and you'll, you'll see some footage of that later on my website. But, um, this famous debate where basically everyone says that, yeah, it's me jerking off at the museum. Um, so everyone basically said when they listened to that debate that Nixon won, but when they watched it, you know, Kennedy, Kennedy won. But, you know, that's like the kind of popular fluff story about this. But it's what's that's not really what's interesting about these debates. So when they got it was to the first the time that problem, something had been on TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the Andy Griffith show. Um, so. So they get to the Cuba problem here. They get to the Cuba part of the debate. Now, there's kind of a few conflicting ideas as to what happens here. So. On one side, people – so basically Kennedy goes after the, the Eisenhower-Nixon administration and says, you guys aren't doing enough to stop Castro. And basically Nixon kind of goes on the ropes and says, well, you know, these are dangerous ideas and we don't really want to do that. Now, some people say that Nixon knew about that the fact that they were going to take a hard line against Castro and they had all these plans. But, he, but for the sake of national security, he couldn't reveal that in the debate. And a lot of people feel this way. And that's kind of if you watch the movie Nixon, which I don't really suggest going to for historical facts regarding this matter. But that's the thesis of, of that scene in the movie is that Kennedy knows that Nixon can't say anything about it. Um, and therefore, um, that's why he doesn't say anything. Now, the second opinion is that Nixon did know about it and Kennedy had no idea. And he was just kind of just talking off of the cuff. But what the more, the third most interesting thing is that Kennedy did know. Now, and if you talk to Colonel Fletcher Prouty, well, you oh, can't because he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. But his theory is this. So, so Fletcher Prouty, who later inspired the character X, in um in JFK, the Donald Sutherland Donald character. Donald Sutherland's that, character. 
Right. Now, this is where we're wandering into the conspiracy theory arena here. So, you know, put your conspiracy theory hats on. I'm not saying this is real, but put that's why we started the show. Put your hats on and make sure the government isn't listening yeah. to your mind. Cover up this your, is- your uh, webcams. But let's face it, that's we, we started this we started this show so we could talk about the conspiracy stuff. So let's let's get into the conspiracy theory. So so Fletcher Prouty basically says and Fletcher Prouty worked at the Pentagon. He was a you know retired colonel from, from the <laughs> He's Navy. In charge of refilling the vending machine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well you know, basically he, he says what his job was to was to provide support from the Pentagon to CIA operations. As I stated before, the CIA. I mean, how do you not have a Donald Trump. Sutherland impression in your arsenal? <laughs> Um, that I have like a key for Sutherland. I feel like you should be able to do it. So what? So Prouty basically was, you know, he he says that he was in charge of providing Pentagon support to CIA operations. Now, what Prouty says is that by in August of 1960, like Kennedy had just clinched the Democratic nomination um, at the convention, and he basically says that. He, that he was told to go to this office at the Senate building at this, and he was um, to take like these four Cuban guys or whatever who were working on the anti-Castro um, initiatives under the Eisenhower administration and took him over to Kennedy's office. And basically Kennedy apparently, according to Prouty, already knew about all this shit and was already working with the anti-Castro Cubans, which to me seems completely insane. But that's the more interesting thing behind that. That's the more interesting theory behind the debate is that actually Nixon didn't know shit about it. Kennedy was the one who knew about it. And that's why Nixon was caught off guard. That's, so that's exclusively courtesy Fletcher Prouty, that theory. Yeah, that there's no nothing is, is more likely. They were just brought over to roll cigars for Kennedy, who was known to yeah. love a presidente. Yes. <laughs> um. So that, but anyway, that that's an interesting theory. But either way, the the election goes to Kennedy, right? Um, now we we can do a whole. We should do a whole episode about whether or not. They fucking stole that election, which would be very interesting, but we'll save that for another day. Um, but anyway, Kennedy beats Nixon and um, inherits the Castro problem. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Also, he dies. Already, I don't want to get already to the ruined end. the Kennedy election episode, Lee. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, Dead men tell no tales, but they can vote in Chicago. Um, we'll be right back on Inside Jobs. We're back on Inside Jobs. So um, basically he inherits this, this Castro problem and this, this initiative. And Ike basically – Is he aware that he has or not? Because as you I, said, Nixon told Dulles not to tell Kennedy. So does he know – does he or does he not know about Bay of Pig? He, he at least knows by the time – Power is transferred over from the the Eisenhower administration over to him because Eisenhower has a meeting with Kennedy shortly after the inauguration or either, either shortly after or shortly before the inauguration as they're sort of passing the the torch over between administrations. Eisenhower asks Kennedy to help him move this couch, <laughs> <laughs> and they get the talker. He invited him to come over just to hang out, but of course he knew that Kennedy had a truck, so. Um, he comes over and he, he basically says, look, you, you have there's this Castro thing. We got all these we have this 
sort of plan against Castro. Um, this country you, called Cuba. You, you, <laughs> wow, this is amazing. I'm with you. Can I get some popcorn? Uh, so he basically says you got you got to follow through on this plan and you got to take out Castro. But um, at this point. Kennedy is very green on the job, and that was like you know one of the 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 big um, talking points that Nixon had against Kennedy. He was like, "Well, I have all this executive experience," blah, blah, blah. and uh, Kennedy, you know, didn't have that kind of experience. He had kind of just sort of floated through, you know, short congressional and um, and senatorial senatorial um, uh, careers, whereas you know Nixon had the you know the more heady experience in foreign policy. Um, which he had earned during the the kitchen debate, um, and so he starts to learn. Uh, the CIA and the Joint Chiefs start to tell him about this plan, this invasion, um, and they basically say, "Like, look, it's not. We're gonna. We have like these, you know, fifteen hundred guys, Brigade two five zero six. We're gonna send them in. We'll need a little bit of air support. They're gonna get in. They're going to." Um, just a couple nuclear bombs. A couple of nukes. And Nothing they're basically going to – you can't lose. It's going to be great. Don't even worry about it. And Kennedy wants to kind of he, – he really wants to make it clear that it wasn't the Ameri- the Americans weren't involved. And I think this is Kennedy's first fatal error because you can't pull this kind of shit off and make it. His second fatal error – Flying was to Dallas. Dallas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 1963. That was, I guess, his his final fatal error. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, being a Catholic. Okay, wait, so in he's in on the plan, but he just wants to to make sure that it doesn't look like the Americans are involved, yes. or he's against this plan. No, he's because- for the plan. He said he thinks it sounds good, but he just wants to scale it back. He doesn't want to provide as much air support, and he doesn't just want one guy in. Yeah, just send James Bond. Yeah, you'll never get away with this Castro. Um, and uh, well, I think we've discussed on the show uh, Kennedy and Dulles were both obsessed with James Bond, and uh, like they would re- they they would read um, Bond novels and pass them back and forth to each other. And actually, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show, but at, at about this time, Jaime right, Bond, right before he's what. Jaime Bond in Cuba. Oh, okay, Jaime Bond. Right, uh, I think right before he's he was inaugurated, he um, has Ian Fleming, the creator of um, James Bond, come out to his um, his resort. Creator of just... Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> yes, <laughs> creator they, of racism. They make um, just passionate love on the beach. <laughs> yeah, creator of the Dennis uh, De- Denise Richards character, Christmas Jones. Uh, Ian Fleming, creator of the video game GoldenEye 64. Yes, Dr. Jones. So Ian Fleming, creator of the GoldenEye video game. Um, He um, basically, you know, Kennedy says like, all right, I had to deal with this Castro, uh, you know, dickhead. And uh, how do you think that uh, M would uh, deal with this? And um, this was before they had made any Bond movies. So so, um, basically... um, Fleming allegedly, and this may be apocryphal, but I really want this to be true, basically says that he has three ideas that James Bond and M would do. The first is the Cubans are a very religious people, so they should start to stage some sort of religious thing. The second is to try to just... that even mean, stage a religious thing? Like some kind of, stage some sort of like thing that would look like some act of God, but it would... Like make it look like the Messiah has returned? 
Yeah, basically, uh, just set up a really big projector and show the Ten Commandments. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wish we had gone with that idea. Yeah, that would have been. We would have thought we would. We'd all be on vacation recording this okay, in Havana. So that's one right thing now. James Bond would do. He would simulate a religious miracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the plot of the world is not enough? Yes. <laughs> he, he, he would create a diamond satellite and then fuck Castro. We'd have sex with Castro um, and find the safe in his office. For the using kingdom of God, James? No. Yeah. For me. And the third was he would, the, the third idea, uh, second Wait, idea was, he had. What was the second? Second idea, sorry, he had was to destabilize the currency of the, stabilize the economy. And the third was Another to. Classic James Bond move. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And the third was... Stabilize the currency. (laughs) The James Bond books were a lot less interesting than the movies. (laughs) And weird. Uh, They are, actually. There's a part in Dr. No where James Bond fights a giant octopus. But anyway, they're great books. You should read them. There's there's one where he just passes increasingly aggressive social reform (laughs) for a period of 50 years. Also, whenever he gets into shape in the movies, basically he uh, he'll be like, "I'm only going to smoke a pack of cigarettes today, and I'm going to swim for a while." Um, <laughs> man, the fifties and sixties were great. Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to hear what the third James Bond move is. <laughs> Uh, the th- it's the best. Uh, the third is that Castro gets all of his power from his beard. That's why everyone thinks that he's great. It actually makes sense, kind of, because Castro in like the earlier. Um, Attempts at revolution, like in Nicaragua, he got like caught and arrested and shit because he, he didn't have a beard. Exactly, um, and um, basically, beard Samson uh, bearded version of Samson. Exactly, and uh, see our episode on the Bible for yeah <laughs> that reference. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I must have been out that week. Um, so. Oh, yeah. So the third was to try to, like, shave off his beard. Um, his magical beard. So the so and here's the funny thing. Like, Kennedy and Dulles, like, loved James Bond so much that they did all three of these things. The first thing they did is they, like, did some, like, formation in the sky or, like, shot up some, like, flares or something to make, like, a giant cross in the sky um, and to, to make it look like God was was there. And, of course, that's dumb and the Cuban people... Now can they could read because and of if they Castro. really know their Bible history, or even their Roman history, Castro would have just said in this sign conquer, and that probably only would have galvanized people more to his side. Exactly. They also dropped currency, like dropped counterfeit money to try to destabilize the currency. And then here's the funny part: so like Dick it ended guys, up being worth more than real Cuban money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because they're communist. It saved the Cuban economy. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. We can't lose. Um, <laughs> I hope another money rainstorm happens. <laughs> so, their, yeah, their, so their second plan was they sent the Joker into the center of Havana. Uh, he danced to a Prince song uh, with a bunch of balloons uh, that looked real Tim Burton y, and then he threw a bunch of money around. Um, but the, th- so the, th- so the third thing is the CIA was doing the craziest shit at this time. So they had this one, they were going to poison, uh, 
Castro's wetsuit so that when he went like diving, he would get poisoned. They were going to put like a, a hallucinogen, a an LSD like substance on his cigars when he would go on TV because it's then he would go on TV and just like trip fucking balls and like everyone would be like, you can oh, get LSD he's... into his cigar. Why not just put poison into his cigar? <laughs> I, I don't, I've, all I know is I want one of those LSD cigars. That sounds great. So and then they're and then they also had these other crazy plans. Uh, like they had like a camera for a press conference that was going to shoot him, which that that seems really James Bondy. In fact, I think in License to Kill he has that. Um, but that is one of the le- uh, less crazy and more rational suggestions I've heard so far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they also had a you know, guys, we could get close enough to kill him. Nah, but it'd be really funny if we could get him to trip balls on TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is will rain money great. from the sky. All right, let's <laughs> the giant sky. Okay, cross. Uh, let's so, get back on track. The okay, CIA... so the final thing that so the final thing they had is they found this powder or something that would make a person's beard fall out that they were going to put in his shoes so that when he put his shoes on, his beard would fall out and everyone would be like, "Oh man, he doesn't have a beard anymore. This guy sucks. Let's take over the country." So, so basically. There were two tracks at this so point. So obviously, there... all of these le- led to John F. Kennedy becoming one of our most beloved ex- chief executives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that's there. So there's track one, which is basically this invasion where they were going to take all of these uh, Cuban exiles. They were going to train them at these camps, arm them, send them over to Guatemala, because as we stated before, Guatemala, we'd already toppled their government, and we had you know favorable relations with them, so we could set them up in Guatemala. Very favorable relations with them. We, we were Top- fucking like, them. Democratically yeah. elected government. Exactly. <laughs> installing a murderous regime. <laughs> so so we, we, we have track one, which is this invasion, all of these exiles that we're setting up with, with shit. Um, and then we have track two, which is basically like attempts to assassinate Castro. Um, and I think we, we even got as far as to like get people into his organization that were like very close to him, like including, I think his girlfriend who basically were spies, uh, for us, but they eventually wimped out and didn't do anything. Just like but, with any James Bond girl, Castro was able to seduce them, bed them, yeah, exactly. and then dismiss them. Right, and she was a lesbian first, but then now she's not anymore she after Castro rapes her. Uh, <laughs> that's in the <laughs> man. My joke was better. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, okay, so so yeah, so as I said before. Kennedy wanted to scale back the um, American involvement with the invasion. So they changed the location of the invasion um, to this place that was called um, uh, the Bahia de Cochinos, or the Bay of Pigs. And they picked it because it's like this insulated little little bay um, that's surrounded by swamps. And so they picked it because they said, hey, man, no one's going to be able to get in here, uh, so they'll be safe. But then also... No one's going to be able to fucking get out either. So um, basically, they didn't have an escape plan for these guys. They were going to land them um, at this beach. Um, They were going to try to hold this uh, Bay of Pigs surrounded by these swamps, set up a provisional government within the first couple of days. The United States and like all of the other people who uh, were – you know, um, part of NATO, we're going to recognize this provisional government on the beach as the, um, 
as the proper government, government legitimate government. And then basically, um, we would be able to take over the island without invading. We promised these guys, uh, Brigade 2506, air support. and the- basically, basically air support in the sense of uh, we would send planes over to bomb the Cuban airstrips to prevent yeah. the Cuban Air Force from then going and raining down fire upon the right. invaders. So the Cuban Air Force had 10 planes, okay? And... Basically, what they were were going to do is they were going to those planes that the Indians had to use in Major League. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and when are they going to make another one of those? Um, Uh, Another interesting part of the invasion plan was uh, the sort of false flag aspect. Yes, that's Um, about what I was going to get into. Yeah, and so what sheep dipping? What they did is they took some uh, American planes and they got uh, Cuban exile to fly this Cuban plane. But before it took off, they shot it up. Um, they removed the the uh, markings that would identify it as an American uh, American a- uh, allied plane. And they sent this guy up. He sort of did a lap in the Caribbean. And then when he landed in uh, Florida, uh, sorry, to, spe- to be clear, he this flight originated in Florida. He mm-hmm. did a lap around yeah. the Caribbean, and then when he landed, he claimed he was a defector from Cuba who was uh, who had stolen a plane and was coming to the United States. At this point, um, Adelaide Stevenson, the ambassador to the United Nations, and Kennedy both publicly say, you know... Deny it. You know, we obviously aren't involved with this, but our... our uh, our belief in a democratic Cuba and our um, dislike of Castro can't prevent us from saying that we applaud this kind of action. Unfortunately, right. the press in Florida immediately are able to figure out that this plane is yes. from the United States, and this basically was it was like still a scam, still dripping paint. Like there was still like there was like a Cuban flag that was like peeling off, and there was an American flag under it. Yeah, and they, I think some of the they press would just actually, have a guy standing in front of the flag. Yeah, to try to cover it up. <laughs> oh, don't look over here. <laughs> uh, and some of the press actually recognized one of the individuals, uh, the individual who was the pilot. They're like, uh, this guy is from Miami," but whatever. But we did actually manage to before the invasion um, bomb the. Uh, the airfield where Castro had these 10 planes. But we only got seven because the other three planes were, I think they were on vacation. Like, <laughs> like they were, no, they were seriously like, they were seriously like spending the weekend at, on some other like friendly country. Like maybe it was Nicaragua. Like I, I don't remember. Um, but <laughs> were, wait, were these anthropomorphized planes yeah, disney's planes out now yeah, on disney's, vhs that's what that movie's about it's about those three cuban planes <laughs> that took a vacation <laughs> so this is this is this is mid-april that this the these uh these activities are going on but uh on on april 17th the invasion actually begins and this is when we have these 1500 uh cuban exile guerrillas invading at the uh bahia de cojinos the bay of pigs and Gesundheit. Um, and immediately they start running into problems. Yes. Um, so <laughs> the thing is, like, Castro 
this was not a very well-guarded secret. In fact, there had been an article in the New York fucking Times. This is like an Onion article almost. It was basically like, America is going to help these guys invade. It was just on the cover of the fucking New York Times. And like Castro just knew it was going to happen. So immediately they show up. And um, the Cuban military. The Cuban, yeah, the Cuban military, um, who was actually pretty well organized and pretty well armed. Uh, they had tanks. Well, they um, were they were trained by uh, the Russians. Yeah, the the Russians and um, Spanish communists who had fought in uh, right. the Spanish Civil War in the nineteen thirties. Yes. Exactly. So um, the fifteen hundred guys they show up, um, and the first thing is they they. The since there's those three planes remaining, um, they get the shit bombed out of them. Two of the ships get hit. Um, and I heard this interview with one of the guys, and he said this like really awesome quote. He said, like, when we landed, they said that the sky would be ours, but then the plane came and it shot our chip, and our chip went down. So they shot the the Houston and this other ship. <laughs> that was one of the rejected commercials from the Dos Equis campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always participate in an invasion of a sovereign country, but when I do, I prefer chips. <laughs> Stay hungry, my friends. <laughs> so I'm just like I just imagine like a boat filled with fucking nachos going down and like two five oh six is like ah, fucking supplies. <laughs> But the thing is, like, they on these ships that they had, they had supplies for like forty thousand fucking people. But all of their supplies, all of their guns, provided all mostly of their, like, by George H. W. Bush's Zapata yes. Oil Company. Exactly. So this fucking operation is called Operation Zapata, and Zapata Industries was a fucking company that was started. Uh, one of the founding members was George fucking Bush. So George H. W. Bush. <laughs> Yeah, George F. Bush. George fucking Bush. <laughs> George F. Bush. <laughs> Why is that funny? It's not. because oh, George fucks Bush. There we go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Barbara. Oh, he oh, loves wow. it so much. Okay, so they were... There was actually this uh, this one time where, um, like, Barbara Bush let something slip about this, where she, like, said something publicly about Zapata, um, because, you know, she's so loudmouth. Um Anyway, I don't have time to get into it, but George H.W. Bush denied being this George Bush basically throughout his presidency. Yes, exactly. I think we got into that on the Kennedy episode about how like George Bush called the CIA that day and then later lied and said that he was not uh, had any involvement with the CIA, but whatever. So, um, but yeah, his oil rigs basically uh, threw throughout uh, whatever. What is it? The Atlant- not the Atlantic. <laughs> What's the body of water between the, the Gulf? Goddamn- the Gulf the of Gulf. Mexico? Yes were basically perfect training platforms uh, for yeah, um, the Cuban exiles into, yeah. So, Sorry, it, it, getting back to invasion. Yeah, so they lose a lot of their supplies in the, in, in the initial assault on the beach. They get in, and they're met by fierce resistance from the Cuban military, and mm-hmm. they start to be captured in large numbers. Oh, uh, and so the, the battle goes over the course of, 72 hours basically and by the last day it becomes completely un becomes completely clear, clear that there's no way they can get out of this and they- the cia's internal uh investigation and internal reporting of this invasion plan had kind of determined previous to the actual 
staging of it that something that it like work. yeah something like this might happen that without proper air support and without proper training these cuban exiles would immediately fail in the face of cuban resistance however as with uh the policies in iran and guatemala where the initial sort of uh thrust of those coups failed but in order to present losing face the president at the time eisenhower had to agree to subsequent expansions of the coup they assumed that as Kennedy soon as would do the as same. Soon, yeah as soon as there was a foothold in cuba even if it was under huge threat from the cuban military kennedy would have to approve of Send greater, in the marines yeah greater greater and greater investment including greater air support and eventually sending in the u.s marines but yeah. <laughs> kennedy wasn't about to let that happen and right. in the face of this in, a, in the face of these initial failures he pretty much just pulled back yep Exactly. He he knew it would be a public humiliation, but he'd rather deal with humiliation and failure than war. And this, uh, in Pe- Pepe San Roman, and uh, who was like on the ground, the commander of uh, of the two five zero six brigade two five zero six was like calling in these desperate calls for support. Like you're just you know you left us here, and like what the fuck? Like we need supplies, we need air support, we need the marines, and um, they basically all became captured. The, there was no plan of escape. Like they, they said, like, oh well, they'll take to the mountains, but the mountains were eighty fucking miles away. Yeah. So a lot of these guys that killed, there, right? Wasn't that the plan? Yeah, yeah they were basically they were gonna, the same thing. They were going to install a government that was favored that uh, they favored, and they would just yeah. live there. Yeah, <laughs> well, pretty march, much. We'll march slightly less than four consecutive marathons. Yeah. into the mountains, and then we'll live there. Yeah, well, yeah, we fight a war and establish a provisional government that will subsequently be recognized by the Western countries and overthrow <laughs> the the entire Cuban government. It was a terrible plan. And well, the Cubans are a walking people. <laughs> yeah. And Kennedy actually, um, in addressing this to the the American public, he took responsibility and he proclaimed himself the responsible party in the U.S. government when something like this failed. It is said that victory has a thousand fathers. Exactly. But- Defeat is an orphan, is his famous quote there. Yeah, but he he took responsibility, and then he brought his brother to, uh, Bobby Kennedy to him, who is the Attorney General of the United States, and he summoned Dulles as well, and was furious, and he asked for these investigations to figure out why did this happen, uh, how could such a failure have been a failure of a pan been a presented to him how come nobody caught it ahead of time and how come there were no contingency or backup plans and it was during this investigation that the cia uh basically hid the fact that it knew that it was gonna yes. fail they so dulles is is yeah, forced to resign they have this report based on what happened that basically showed what a fuck up this whole thing was dulles resigns the um the the guy who um takes over from Dulles, uh, let me let me look up. I'm just trying to remember who it is here. Uh, the guy who takes over basically burns all of the copies of this report, save for a couple, and puts them in a personal safe. And it's not until like the mid '90s that we finally get to see a copy of this report that basically admits all of the stuff that we that we did here. So, the sort of popular um, conception of what happened here is that the CIA. And this, and this is validated by this document. The CIA basically lied to Kennedy, said it would be easy because 
and the Joint Chiefs of Staff went along with it because they figured they would be able to bully Kennedy into, um, or just, you know, force Kennedy into uh, sending in ground troops. Now, it's interesting because I think that Kennedy was actually sort of forced into this um, to begin with. So he has these, you know, 1,500 guys in Guatemala, right? Yeah. Even if, and there's some people say he did realize that this was a stupid plan. And even if he did do that, what's he going to do with these guys? Once you get some momentum behind something, once you get, you know, 1,500 guys and all riled up to go invade a country, you can't just be like, you know, Psych. go to Disney World. Psych. Yeah, exactly. There's this kind of momentum behind things. Um, but so he accepts personal responsibility. The, the guys are, some of them are, some of them are rescued. Some of the guys are rescued. Many of them are captured and like sent and put on trial and sentenced for these things. The, I heard this one story where these guys got all lined up. They thought they were going to be executed, but then a bunch of reporters showed up and were taking pictures of them. They were paraded all around the country. It was like this, this victory for the, the Cuban people. Eventually, there, there was a huge trade where the, the, um, the captured soldiers were traded back to um, U.S. soil for, like, I think, like 40 to $60 million worth of money and uh, medical supplies from the United States. Um, and there was, as you can assume, massive resentment from these guys, massive resentment that they had been betrayed by uh, Kennedy. And that gets into some of the later theories that some of these guys – were involved in um, the Kennedy assassination, so that kind of gives some background to to that theory because a lot of people mention the, the you know these disgruntled Cubans as possible um, you know people that uh, were involved in the Kennedy assassination. If you hear these guys interviewed, uh, I don't think that that actually happened, but if you hear these guys interviewed, it becomes clear that they were very pissed off. Now Che actually had a had a back channel uh, with uh, with someone in the United States, and he basically thanked us he said thanks you know we were kind of on unstable ground but now we're like we're kind of a david to your goliath you, you guys couldn't have helped us more and it was kind of like a fuck you yeah. anyway, sorry, an, incre an incredible fuck you um now what cuban exiles being involved in the kidney assassination is very much uh in uh, something for speculation and something that i personally don't think uh is true but Cuban exiles were involved in another case that we've looked into uh, involving our old friend Howard Hunt, uh, yeah. and that is the Watergate break-in. Uh, and Operation Mongoose. And too, Operation Mongoose, that. yeah. But Howard Hunt, who, had been, who was a member of the CIA, was involved in training these exiles in Miami, or sorry, not training, but recruiting exiles in Miami in order to go on this operation. And later on in the 90s, he said that um, when he was looking for them, he initially uh, had a lot of trouble because all the Cubans that he met were pro-Castro. Um, but he eventually did help recruit some of them. And then later, when he was doing, you know, operating dirty tricks for the Nixon administration, um, some Cuban exiles were involved, he, were uh, part of the plumbers that were going around, quote, plugging the leaks. And, Mario and Luigi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Howard and, Hunt may be the most interesting person like in the the 20th century. Right. I, I, and he's and, just the most fascinating asshole I've ever heard of. Yeah. They helped, you know, br these Cuban exiles helped break into um, 
the uh, Democratic uh, headquarters at the Watergate Hotel. And, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting, uh, interesting to see that someone who is involved in this sort of shady paramilitary operation that the United States uh, pushed ahead later was making his buck doing it for the uh, at the personal whim of Richard Nixon, who, for whom Cuba had, as Gene said earlier, Cuba was a pet project of his. So it's right. kind of an interesting sort of maelstrom of shady political activities that were happening in the late fifties and throughout and when the sixties. And when you get to the when you get to the Kennedy tape, I mean, I'm sorry, to the Nixon tapes, there's that famous part where he's I think he's talking to Halderman, is it, Ryan? Uh-huh. And he and he goes, you know, if you if you go into Hunt and all those guys. You uncover that whole Bay of Pigs thing. Yeah, basically, and if we don't if we don't pay them off, pay for their silence, and investigators question them, you blow up the whole pay, Bay of Pig things. Now and, Halderman is like, "What are you talking about? That was Kennedy's, you know, fuck up." But what Halderman later realized, and he claims this, I don't know if this is necessarily true. Uh, uh, what's I don't his name? Think Oliver so. Stone definitely buys into this. Yeah, like I said, do not use that as a source of historical information, exactly. but it is interesting. Whoa. He later basically said, when he's talking about Bay of Pigs, he was actually talking about the blowback from the Bay of Pigs that resulted, some claim, in the Kennedy assassination. And so some people say that Watergate, Bay of Pigs, Kennedy assassination, it's all part of some great master conspiracy. But, um, you know. So uh, essentially, after the failure of the Bay of Pigs, the the CIA did not stop trying to in, invade uh, Cuba. And, yeah, or, that's or where we get into mongoose. We have Operation Mongoose, which I think we will hold off on because I think that might yeah. be an episode another okay. day. But we we talk Good. about it a little bit in the Kennedy uh, um, assassination episodes, and uh, it's a, it's another th- situation where Cuban exiles are being trained uh, in down in the south by cia um but there were other Being trained by dave uh, by uh dave ferry as played by joe pesci <laughs> uh but there are a lot of other operations you know that have subsequently come to light over uh, as lee said trying to do things like poison castro's beard out of him or just poison him plant spies in his personal circles that sort of thing yeah. but a lot of this was uncovered by the frank church committee in i think the early 70s which 70s, later yeah. led to the uh house select committee on assassinations but again another day but basically castro was able to hold on to power until he was you know very old man and only uh, a couple years ago did he step down from power as the president of cuba handing it off to his brother raul, raul. and uh becoming uh, i believe his position is now like prime minister his position uh, is i'm still alive i swear yeah his position is i'm still around i've got my fingers in some pies but i'm basically retired um yeah. but during the the entirety of that time uh castro was able to hold on to power and and, and actually um while he was committing some heinous civil rights and human rights abuses uh including things like torture and uh um uh, blatant thievery from the Cuban popula- population. He was also doing a lot of things like uh, making Cuba one of the you know greatest um, uh, medical uh, medically equipped countries in the world, and sending Cuban doctors around in the face of uh, disasters. 
Um, Sexy Cuban doctrine. <laughs> like so, for for instance, after uh, the the Haitian earthquake, Cuba was the one of the first countries to send uh, emergency response medical teams in order to help out there. And well, that's they the also they, live pretty close to Cuba. So. They, they they do they do live pretty close, but that's it's a common like thing. Right there. They, they they go to you know Japan after the earthquake uh, and the tidal also, wave. Also, Japan is like right there. Yeah, basically. But um, but uh, it's as, all right, Chairman Lane. <laughs> As got we're, it you love cuba as we were joking about earlier uh not uh, not everything is black and white here and there's so much secret arcane history going on between the united states and cuba that uh is kind of downplayed today uh as relationships sort of thaw and uh over the past couple of years under the obama administration some of the travel restrictions to cuba have been relaxed um, but, uh, at the same time, a lot of the embargo that were, that were put in place after the 1959 assumption of power by Castro are still in place today. So that's why you cannot get Cuban cigars legally in the United States. But, um, so the, the war against Castro and the Bay of Pigs, you have uh, to buy them from 15 year old Lee. Yeah. You have to buy them from 15 year old drunk out of his mind, Lee. Uh, so Bay of Pigs and the war against Castro, Gene inside job or not? Why do I? You guys are supposed to go first, so then I could say my answer. Oh, sorry. So I'll say disagree with us. I'm going to say definitely an inside job. It's uh, clear that we really tried to pull one over on the Cubans and blatantly failed and embarrassed ourselves. Lee, yeah, I mean, I think there's like there's like two layers of this. There's the was it an inside job? Like, did we fund these guys and send them over? Like, yes, that's unequivocally, undeniably the truth. The the second layer of was it an inside job? Was this an inside job by the CIA trying to um, basically corner Kennedy into um, uh, doing a full-scale invasion with perhaps the cooperation of the Joint Chiefs? I'm leaning towards the fact that that may be true. I, I don't know, and I'm not going to stake my... Sh- flimsy already flimsy <laughs> reputation on that and gene what do you think inside job or not i'm going to channel my inner lee i'm going to say it is not an inside job i'm going to say it is an outside job because it took place outside great that was a, that was a good one well thank you <laughs> thank you lee for doing all that research and going into this there's this is one of those uh, topics like the Kennedy assassination where we just have so much information on it that we can, you know, it's hard to yeah. cram it all into one episode. But I'm going to keep can... talking after you hang up just yeah. to my cat. <laughs> hopefully we can get into Operation uh, Mongoose down the line. But for now, I think that's going to cover it for uh, the Bay of Pigs. and the Can CIA you say it like Jack stuff. Lemon, though? Operation Mongoose. <laughs> yeah, and um, then, then roll your eyes. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, I, we got some great feedback on the Iran episode last week. Um, uh, in particular, uh, one of our fans... Did we get any feedback on the Iran episode? Uh, we we did. Oh, okay, good. It was great. Uh, okay. But Clay, I want to thank Clay for writing in. He he wrote in not only about the Iran episode, but also the Archduke France Ferdinand one, and had a lot of nice things to say, so thank you to him. Uh, if you want to give us a review, we recently got a terrible review on iTunes from some fuckwit who uh, <laughs> who uh, who hated our who hates our show and. Uh, I didn't care for it, but uh, if you want can, to give us a review, do we have it up to to read to our audience? I, or? My, uh, my iTunes is closed right now, but if you want to go in, just go to the most recent review. It's it's just basically like there's a reason that you guys aren't comedians. <laughs> stop <laughs> stop trying to be funny, because you do pick good topics. Unsubscribe. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, I think that was that was basically it. <laughs> yeah, that was basically it. I thought it was. Pre- I, I've had it seared into my brain. Um, but if you would like to give us a wonderful review, please go on iTunes and and do it. And if you want to give us a, t- a terrible one, go fuck yourself. Uh, but if you would like to get a, get in touch with us, uh, you can always follow us on Twitter at inside jobs cast or you can email us inside jobs cast at gmail.com thank you lee thank you gene for participating thank you all the listeners for listening in we will be back uh we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode until then follow the counterfeit money that's been rained down from a plane <laughs>